Welcome to the official podcast of the Galway International Arts Festival 2022. I'm Andy Gaffney. And I'm Orla Higgins. In this show, we'll have interviews with guests, take a look behind the scenes and give you all the recommendations you need for this year's festival. And this episode is all about music. Later, we'll be joined by John Hopkins, chatting about his upcoming Big Top gig. Irish crowds are always amazing. So it feels like um, there's just an extra level of being up for it and an extra level of joy in the music. We'll also be taking a look back with Tiernan Henry and a look behind the curtain with Googie. So we had a few issues of pyrotechnics a few times. That was a bit of people wanting to set off, you know, rockets, essentially. <laughs> but first, Galway musician and composer Anna Malarkey popped into the studio to chat playing this year's festival, launching her debut album Falling and taking inspiration while on the Himalayas. Hello, Anna Malarkey. How are you? Hello. Great to be here. Very happy out. The thing about the Galway International Arts Festival this year for you is a bit of a double celebration because not only are you going to be playing, the night of the gig is also your album launch. Yeah. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> no, I'm very excited. Like, really, it's been, uh, it's been a, a long time coming and it's been great to have this date to kind of be like, right, it, you have to... You have to release it. I think like albums, I don't know, like it's like one of those things you're like, you kind of just want to keep minding it. And like, it's great to have this date. You're like, yeah, boom, it's going to be out in the world. Yeah. Do you work well to that kind of pressure? Is that kind of, that, does that kind of uh, suit you better? That kind of feeling of like, oh, good Lord, the deadline is coming. I actually love deadlines for when I'm composing, not for myself. Like, I feel like that's great. But like, I, I need deadlines when I'm composing for myself and other people. But it is uh, very different when it's your own work because like, yeah, you're kind of just like, but I need to wait for that feeling. <laughs> I need to wait to know. Like some of these songs like have changed quite a lot over time, you know, and like even we rent to the beekeepers in County Clare there to record. It's like this lovely space for artists to go to. And we recorded, I was with uh, Frankie J. Pollard on, he was recording, the recording engineer and Sam Wright, uh, double bass with Paul McClure on accordion and baron. We had Gabrielle Gonzalez come in with loads of flutes and low whistles. We had Anne Marie Ryan come in with uh, Rin come in with a uh, fiddle and like just loads of musicians. It was great crack and recorded. But she then came home and I was like, right, I'm just going to start chopping all this stuff up and like messing with it. So then it took another life and then you start playing it and then it takes another life. So like there's just so many life forms. I think. I'm just like, oh my God, like, and then at some point you have to go, right, that's enough, like, you've lived enough, now it's time to go to another place and be listened to by other people, yeah. And the album's called Falling, isn't that it, yeah. um, Anna, and what, what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, I actually, it, I actually found it really hard to find a name, and I was talking to my mom about it, and I was like, yeah, the album's kind of about falling in love and falling out of love, and... She was like, we'll call it Falling. And I was like, okay, that makes perfect sense. So it's kind of... <laughs> this, is what, this is what you have the mammies, to be <laughs> honest. Like, Very know. helpful. <laughs> so yeah, Falling kind of encapsulates, I suppose, a lot of it. Uh, but there's there's like two... There's a song called Sleep, which actually was initially a commission by Galway 2020 for their handover. And uh, that was a song kind of written about sort of letting things go which you know is a great skill <laughs> but actually it was the concept was sleep I thought sleep is kind of like when you let things go as well 
uh, in your psyche. <laughs> so that song was actually initially a commission and then I kind of built on it. And then there's another song. So that kind of, it does tie into the theme of falling because you are falling asleep, which makes me very happy that there's like a pun, um, kind of. But uh, there's also a song called Ishka and that was actually a commission for a show called Arasharish, which is a viewer show. And so that's really, uh, it was a poem by Nula Nidaunal. Yeah, so that poem is actually about sort of, you know, living in America and living abroad and, you know, knowing that you have this Irish heritage and you have this, she's, the, the character in this song is in therapy and she keeps seeing the sea everywhere and seaweed and like all of this, just the smell of the sea. And it's like Ireland is calling her home, her sense of place. And in a way that kind of ties into this, the, uh, the reason it's in it. Well, I love that poem and I think it's very beautiful and it really moved me. But um, it's actually the idea of like falling apart. So, yeah, OK, you fall in love, you fall out of love. But then there's the, the self, you know, the it doesn't I don't really think falling in love or out of love is really about just other people. I think it can be with yourself, too. And that idea of like falling apart internally because your sense of place is, you know, maybe different. So there's that too. So falling, I think, is yes, about relationships, but it's also the internal aspects of the psyche and how they are working. Yeah. Um, and like, I suppose just when you talk about falling, what made you fall in love with music and performance then in the in, way back when? Yeah, um, I suppose like, you know, I actually always wanted to be a composer Um when I was about like, well, since I was about 14, really, like I was just like, oh, my God, listen to Philip Glass. I was like this. I had this amazing piano teacher called Elena Gecker, and she was just amazing. And I love her so much. I was so, so lucky to have had such an amazing teacher. And she gave me The Hours by Philip Glass this C on a CD. And I was like, oh, thank you, you know, and listen to it. And yeah, I was just really obsessed with the hours. <laughs> like, I remember, like, just like, I had to read Mrs. Dalloway. I had to learn about it. I was like, what is, you know, where did his inspiration come from? I wanted to understand the roots of that music so much. Yeah, so I really thought, OK, this is actually something I really want to do. But I don't know, uh, it took a long time for me to actually go, right, actually, that's a, that, I, that is a career I could have. You know, it is, it's, you know, I went, I studied philosophy and psychology and I thought, sure, maybe I, I'd have a really easy career as a philosopher. <laughs> Moved to Sweden on Erasmus and bought a piano while I was there for like 200 euro. A piano for 200 that's euro. Fine. That's a fine price for a I, piano. I called it Bertha. Yeah. Bertha the piano. Bertha the piano. That's a brilliant name. <laughs> Bertha the 200 euro piano. <laughs> like Bertha was great. Like Bertha was the life and soul of like lots of jams and parties, you know. And it really, while I was there, because I had a lot more free time, I realised actually that I actually just want to do music. And I was like, cool, I'll finish, finish the degree. Do you know, it's good, good to do that. So did that. And then, yeah, I just pursued music full time after that. Yeah. When you're, you're talking about those early kind of soundtracks, do you still pull influences from those soundtracks that you loved as a kid? Absolutely loved Rainbow Bright. And like... I don't know. Maybe I did. Like, maybe that actually influenced me. Like, I own a Juno 106, which is this, like, vintage analog synth. And I just love, like, analog synths and synths in general. And I know Rainbow Bright 
has like really colorful soundtracks. <laughs> I urge anyone to look up Rainbow Bright. I don't know Rainbow Bright. <laughs> well, we we soon will. We're, gonna, we're definitely gonna have to Google that one. Yeah, the hit oh rate for Rainbow, the streaming for Rainbow Bright is oh not good. It's going to peak now. You know? yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about the composing side of things. Um, you know, you've composed for film and award-winning documentaries, and and you know, I have to own up here. I was very lucky that you composed a piece for a podcast series I did called Other on the two mother and baby home. Do you approach the two things differently? You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, working on your own stuff and then let's say you're working to commission or you're working for a piece for a film or documentary or TV or whatever it is. What's your different approach then when it comes to both? Um, so first year, I loved working with you. It was so lovely. It was such a I great time. I wasn't really fishing for Cumberland, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows working with I know, it was so lovely. Yeah. It really was. It was great. Um, yeah, there. I think they are very different because one, you're, when it's personal, you're kind of almost waiting for inspiration, you know? You kind of want to find it naturally you don't I don't really like to push it too much you know I don't really like to go right you're writing a song right now I kind of want it to boil over and and be a natural environmental effect whereas when it's a commission I'm given inspiration so like I just I find it you can just sit and you do it you know it's like that's much more I have my like professional hat on and I'm sitting down I'm composing and I kind of, OK, I'm, I've got all these tools I can work with. What instrument, what key? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all these very specific things before I do that. And I just go. Whereas when it's personal, I don't want to use those tricks. I don't want to think about those things. I kind of want it to be, oh, I want to fall into it. Oh, hey, hey. She's always on it. She's always on it. <laughs> Got the plug that in is, everywhere. That's, that's, a, that's a pro right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I even think like sometimes writing personally. Well, actually, no, for both, actually. It's really nice to explore with new instruments or new techniques. I think that's always really important. Like actually with your piece, um, I was really lucky. Uh, Liam King from Boffin Studio, the Black Gate Studio, actually, uh, he let me use his tape machine. And like that just, I just had the best time ever. And I was like, oh my God, I love tape machines. And it really inspired me. So it's like, sometimes it's like, okay, yes, it's great to be given inspiration. It's great to get inspiration. But sometimes an instrument or a device can be the driving force. And like at the moment, like the music scene is pretty vibrant in Galway, isn't it at the moment? I mean, obviously you have Pather and Liam and the Black Gate and you have like Strange Brew and you have, you know, it, it just seems to be an exciting time to be a musician in Galway. Yeah, yeah, it is an exciting time. I mean, there's, it's, yeah, it's got a lot to offer. Do you know, um, like I always just go back to Morton O'Connor, like that I was so lucky to live beside him when I was young and got to hear his pieces in his house, you know, growing up. And that was amazing. And now we've got like, yeah, like Dahi, he's flying it like and, you know, houseplants as well. Um, and we've just like Neve Regan. There's just so many artists that are really taking the industry by storm and creating amazing music, like really just beautiful music that like, yeah, it's just really, really wonderful that it's coming from Galway. Yeah, it's delighted. And speaking of kind of Galway, you mentioned before about how you mentioned the song Ishkin, clearly like water and landscapes. And has Galway influenced you in terms of writing music? A hundred percent. I remember I had this moment uh, when I was in India and I was up at the top of the 
at the top of the Himalayas. No, I wasn't at the top of them at all. I, I, mean, was, I, was, I was thinking there, she's buying a piano, she's buying a piano in, 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 was Bertha. It? in I, I hope she didn't in, carry the piano all the way to the top of the Himalayas. We need to start, we need to start hanging out. Is what we need to start Our lives sound so boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I just watch Stranger Things. What kind of love? Yeah, I've been watching that. Yeah. Great. Uh, I actually played the video game, the little app game on my phone of Stranger Things. It's great. On top of the Himalayas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Multi-talented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had this moment uh, up on a mountain where I heard the birds, the, the birds singing, and the way they were singing was not like how Irish birds sing, obviously because they're different birds. But anyways, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to take that as as fact that that birds sound different in different countries, yeah. and I will believe that. I will go home. Tonight they sing in different languages, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I learned. Yeah, yeah. You never guess his name. Animal Arky said it. It must be true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Birdologist. Yeah. There's definitely a real Sit down and let me tell you a tale now about birds, sorry. <laughs> so I was up there and I heard the birds singing differently as they do in Ireland. And it got me thinking about environment and how it influences music. Because these birds were like, do you know, it was just like, it really sounded like Indian music. I was like, geez, that's like, do you know, it was just really fast and it was, you know, it was just, yeah, it was cool. And then I suppose, yeah, I come growing up in Ireland, growing up beside the sea like definitely had a massive influence on me. When I was about five, we grew up in Inishtar. You know, being on the swings out back and you'd literally swing and you'd just see the sea the whole time. Like You just like everywhere you went on, on that island, you can see the sea. And I think that has sort of like deeply been embedded in my mind that like the sea is everywhere. Like I used to want to, I want, I want, used to want my genre to be what is it, underwater disco. But I just don't, I don't know, well, like... I'd right. go to that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. could do that. Like, underwater yeah. disco. Let's let's have fun, yes. Like it's not fun. too late yet, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are back playing live. You must have missed that side of things. Yeah, big time. Like, it was it was definitely odd. I had, like, a good few gigs lined up, and then it was like, boom, everything's gone. So ended up playing a lot of video games for about, you know, about two, three weeks. Okay, it was three weeks, yeah. Video games for three weeks. It was great. Um, just to kind of just to accept reality and just to go yeah cool and then back in back onto it but you know it was I think it, it kind of gave a whole appreciation you know I think everyone kind of appreciates their their social life and being able to go out and so that's really nice and it's really nice to be back and playing festivals do you think the album changed much over that time yeah it definitely did so I think it was in between the first and second lockdown it was I think the summer or it was either the second or third I'm not sure and I was in, uh, so two, so when I asked Sam to play with me, but during that one of those little breaks, we I was asked to play just at a friend's gathering, just like nothing, you know, and uh, I was like, cool, maybe I'll ask Sam to play because he's a bassist and, you know, it'd be nice to have someone because, you know, you're kind of just, the whole lockdown was quite, not it was like isolating, you know, so I was like, I actually don't really want, I'm not interested in playing totally solo now. Like I kind of want to play with other people. So, yeah, you know, then started playing with Sam and then out in Boffin late, just a few friends playing a bit of music. I turned to my friend Paul and I was like, Paul, would you be up for playing some tunes with me? He's like, yeah. I was like, cool, okay. And yes, and then we had a three piece and like any gigs that came in those intermittent phases, you know, I could play as a three piece and I don't really think I would have done that. Um, and that 100% shaped the album, like 100% playing with Sam and Paul because it's just a different sound like I thought it was going to be a really electronic album I was like cool it's going to be fully electronic and then it was like oh wait no it's it's very much electroacoustic yeah with folk yeah 
wonderful animal Arky. She launches her album Falling in the Roisin Dove on July 14th and tickets are available now from GIAF.ie. And Anna will be back at the end of the show playing us an incredible live version of her single Falling Apart. Now, you can't talk about music in Galway without mentioning Googie McNamara. Googie programmes the music for Goey International Arts Festival. So to get a behind-the-scenes look at what exactly goes into putting artists on the stage, Andy popped down to the Roisin for a quick chat with the man himself. So, Googie, I guess, when does the whole process, the end of one festival, when does it begin again for you? Uh, sometimes it's two years before the, the gig, sometimes it's... Uh, you know, just after the festival starts, things uh, things would really start in motion, I guess, after, you know, in August, that's when I'd start, but you'd always be looking all year, so, forever. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, is there a secret ingredient to you, what you think, that is, what that would be an amazing, either a big top band, or something to go on the festival, is there a secret ingredient that you look for, that you go, gee, I'd love them. A lot of it's a lot of it is pure selfish uh, dreaming. Sometimes you know, saying I really want to do that show. When I started running gigs twenty five years ago, I guess I did. Um, I, I had a list in my head of you know ten acts that I wanted to work with, and uh, you know Brian Wilson and Pixies were at the top of that list. So we've had both of those in the big top. So there's still a few to work through, but uh, I've got most of them over the years. Uh, a lot of it is the, spe- the, the Arts Festival is a very special um, kind of event. It, it draws a good mix of people. And the Big Top is, you know, one of the most iconic venues in Ireland for the beautiful site and Fisheries Field. So there's something, there's something very magic about the Big Top. So you want to bring a bit of magic. What's the littlest, nigglest thing? That someone would have no idea that that goes into putting that band up on up on that stage. There's not there's not a whole I I, I don't know if it's if there's not a whole lot to it because we've been doing it so long or maybe just those niggly bits aren't that interesting. So what you do is you you know you sign your contract uh, you you schedule your announcements and then you deal with all the production writers and uh, technical aspects of it. And luckily for the big top. Uh, you know, for a lot of the, all the Roisin Dove Presents shows that we do outside of the Roisin, I, I would deal with all that. But luckily for the Big Top, I can pass that off to Adam and Sandra in the production team who are all excellent. So I basically get emails in and say, this isn't my problem anymore. And I forward them on to Adam and Sandra, who are fantastic, and deal with all the technical. And then they'll come back if there's an issue and I'll go back and we'll, we'll sort it out. If someone wants, you know, inflatable screens or something. <laughs> I don't know if you even get inflatable screens. I, mean, I was going to ask them what is the what's the strangest request that you've had in over the years. Uh, I'm not, I, there, there haven't been a whole lot of strange requests because you know to, if if people if something's really weird, people tend to bring it themselves. Like we didn't have the flaming lips asking for uh, tracking so they could bring their unicorn through the crowd. They brought it with them themselves. They didn't ask us for a unicorn. They already had one. <laughs> So I think people are, you know, people are fairly reasonable, especially on the festival circuit. They understand they have to get get in and get out. We had a few issues with pyrotechnics a few times. That was a bit, of, you know, uh, people wanting to set off, you know, rockets essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this isn't an open air. This is a tent, you know, so you can't really set off fireworks. Well, a regular Monday for you now is like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to set off these rockets in the big time. Yeah, I'm just trying to explain very simply why you can't put, you know, have rockets in an enclosed space. What's the week leading up to the festival launch like for you? I'd imagine it's flat to the bat. Yeah, I mean, this year I have 20-something shows in, in two weeks. So there's quite a lot of, you know, structure to be put into place and making sure that everything's, 
you know everyone's got their sound specs and everyone's got their schedule right and you know the my the bike the tires of my bike are pumped up so I can be cycling back and forth to the Roshi and the big top a few times an hour depending on what's going on. <laughs> what makes a special gig in the big top? Uh, I mean it's it's the artist obviously but the audience as well you know the, the audience are a huge part of it uh, some of the some of the most amazing shows in there have been you know really varied the the Christy Moore show from a few years ago was just I mean I could hear it from the Roisin um, I think I had to fall down here so I had to pop down and pop, pop back but you had people singing all the way along the canal uh, Brian Wilson which was just you know mind-bogglingly good hearing all those songs because he did pet sounds and then he did a couple of hours of, of the other hits and the audience were just wrapped you know just everyone just really buzzing off they said that was one of their favorite shows they've ever done because they normally do standing or sorry they normally do seated shows and that was standing and very lively uh, one of the most amazing shows I mean I've seen the Flaming Lips live about 12 or 13 times but the gig in the, in the big top was just you know they're, they're, they're one of the best live gigs you can ever go to see is the Flaming Lips just because of the pure spectacle of it you know between the Zorb and the Unicorn and Giant Hands <laughs> I'll never forget the next day I mean you, you see all these people on, on Facebook and Instagram going well everyone just stop talking about the Flaming Lips <laughs> that, you think that's the gig that's had the most chat about has it it's one, definitely one of the ones that people were sort of raving about you know why wasn't I there or why weren't you there that was definitely one of the one of the magic ones I mean the National was incredible as well uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's something magic about each of those shows. We I, we very rarely had a bad show at the Big Top. And if we did, I wouldn't even say it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. So you, <laughs> you wouldn't name a chain. I wouldn't name, name anyone. Um, yeah, I mean, like there's there's a level of expectation people have when they go, when they walk into the Big Top, whether it's they're coming in their wellies or the high heels, which happens way too often. There should be a there should be a disclaimer on tickets saying please do not wear high heels to the field where the gig is on. There's <laughs> been a couple of years there where it's been... You know, you might need a raft to get, yeah. to get down there. <laughs> Not to make you pick between your children now or like that, but is there a gig this year that you think that's going to be, that's going to be amazing? Oh, they're all going to be amazing this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, it's my, I'm fulfilling my lifelong dream now, delayed by three years of putting Pixies or bringing Pixies to Galway, and they're doing two nights, and I just, you know, 16-year-old me exploded when I, when I confirmed that gig because I've been chasing it for so long. Do you get nervous when you make the phone call and say, "Look, I, can you we, would you do this?" Uh, yeah, there's a, there's that period from when you hit send on the offer to waiting to get back your yes or no or you know the inevitable give me more money. Uh, th- th- there's that sort of waiting, that sort of nervous sitting on the edge of your seat, going, "Will it happen this time?" So yeah, John Hopkins is going to be stunning. I saw his DJ set at Body and Soul, and that was mind blowing. So the live show is just going to be you know out of this world and of course the aforementioned the flaming lips who will bring all the spectacle that you could possibly ever imagine or desire to the stage i know you said you've had everyone at the stage but is there is there anyone then on the on the list that you think yeah there's a few bands i'd really like i mean it would be great to have the cure in galway you know that that would be something special i think yeah i mean i still have a list every time that that list of top 10 things changes all the time I mean, some of those some of those acts on that list, you know, play the Roshi. <laughs> so they're not; they weren't all big acts. Uh, I mean, legacy acts. It would be great if the Kinks ever reformed to do that one. I guess it'd be great to have the National back. That's what I love. I can't even. I can't, right now, I can't even remember what music I like. <laughs> uh, I'm just drawing a blank. Uh, what I, whoever is playing next year, that's that's who. It, I mean, it would be incredible to get my bloody my bloody Valentine in there. I just don't know if it will work as a venue for them because of the noise, because they're very loud. 
And if there is there anyone like that you're working on next year, do you want to secretly put in a little clue to? No. No. I'm Tiernan Henry. I run the Vinyl Hours programme for the Galway International Arts Festival. Over the years I went from being volunteered to being on the board and then, and now technically, I'm an artist. So I sit on the other side running this Vinyl Hours thing, which is a huge amount of fun. Well, one thing when, on Vinyl Hours is the, when I started, I always apologised to people. I always apologise to the guests and saying, I apologise for putting you in this position of having to reduce it all down to eight or nine songs or whatever. Because I've never had to do that until kind of now. So I've been pushed into a position of picking musical highlights from the festival over the past 2,000 years. Because that's what it felt like when I started coming back over some of the things. There's a whole pile of things that I've really enjoyed seeing in the festival. But it was really easy to pick the top one which surprised me in a way, because if you asked me to pick a list of my top albums, I'd give you a list, and then tomorrow I'd give you the changed list, and then the next day I'd give you the different list, and then the next day I'd give you the different list. It, uh, this is it, one of these terrible things you do. Well, there's, there's also, you know, so I went through the list, and I thought, well, The National in 2014 were great. St. Vincent in 2015 was brilliant. David Byrne, The Blue Nile, See, and then when you start thinking about these, you think, oh yeah, David Byrne played in the Radisson. The Blue Nile played in the Radisson. The same night Philip Glass played. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I think, goalie doesn't do too bad. Radiohead, of course, back in 1995 is a great gig. Chic, Blondie, T-Bone Burnett in the Town Hall, um, Grantley Buffalo in the GPO, and, which also, when I thought about that, I'm going to be Spearhead in the GPO. Also did a great gig. So I came up with my top two, I guess, my in the in the number two position is Bonnie Ver in two thousand and nine, and it was the only Irish gig he played. It was his first Irish gig. It was the only Irish gig he played that year, and it was right at the tail end of the For Emma tour, and he played in the big top, and he came back. I think a year later, or not to Galway, he came back to Ireland a year later, or, or a couple of years later, and played the board gosh and had the second album out at that stage, but this first one was. Just a great gig for the, the big top and lifted everyone. I mean, everyone sang along and uh, and I think it was, I think when people, I, I really got a sense of just how important that album is. But hands down, without a doubt, my top gig was in 2009, was Brian Wilson. So it was the Pet Sounds tour. So Brian Wilson and his astonishing band uh, came out and played Pet Sounds and then they did the Beach Boys' greatest hits. And I think one of the reasons I particularly like this is that uh, it, it, you know, people always say, oh, Pet Sounds, greatest album ever recorded and all those things. It is a great album, but more importantly as well, that the Beach Boys' singles are astonishing. Um, and to hear, to hear them played by such a good band and and obviously acknowledging Brian Wilson's you know, known issues that he has, his health issues, but I think there was a couple of things about it was the band reacted so really well to the audience and the audience just lifted the band. And I think it was after God Only Knows they played, um, the, the, the applause just kept going. It kept going and kept going. And they started the next song, but people were still cheering and clapping. And then they stopped and then they thanked everyone. And they were all going, this has never happened to us before. And you kind of think, yeah, this is Galway. 
And I think that's perfect. I think that's probably the, the gig because great songs, it was a great night, it was a lovely evening in Galway as usual and you just think everyone sang along and um, and it wasn't a nostalgia fest. It was just, as you can think, how alive these songs still are uh, on both sides. So for us, but also for on the stage. So there you go, Brian Wilson. John Hopkins brings his stunning blend of electronic, ambient and classical music to the Big Top on Saturday, July 16th. If you've ever seen a John Hopkins show, you know that it's genuinely mind-blowing. And if you haven't seen one, you really need to. And I had a chat to John about finally being able to bring his incredible show back to Galway. So delighted to be joined on the podcast by John Hopkins. How are you? I'm very well, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to, nice to be talking to you. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, people have been really so excited and waiting for this gig in Galway for uh, a long, long time. There's a yeah. genuine buzz about it. It must be nice that it's that it's getting near for yourself, is it? Yeah, it is. It's um, it's always such a joy to play in Ireland, and it's been it's been so painful each time these things have been moved back. Um, and what I'm finding in um, having recently, you know, been able to play Glastonbury again, it's just that there's a real there's such a euphoria in the crowds, you know, that the that we can do this thing that we love again and we can do it collectively. Um, we're just reminded of how important it was really. So yeah. I mean, I thought that Glastonbury gig was 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 incredible. You know, it really was. It was a it was it was stunning. And you took the word out of my mouth there when you said uh euphoric, because I was doing a bit of kind of an I was doing a bit of a focus group test, shall we say. The word that keeps on coming back who's who've seen you before is uh euphoric. When that feeling is at one of your gigs, that feeling of kind of euphoria, do you feel that on stage as well? Um, ideally, uh, <laughs> you know, inevitably, like when you do a lot of shows, there's the, the occasional one where um, you don't you don't quite feel as amazing as as the message you're trying to like, uh, you know, as, as the emotion the music is trying to portray. But generally, um, these days, I kind of feel quite aligned with what I'm doing, and it's interesting. I think. Um, because in 2020, I made, you know, I was working on this Beatless album, which um, I don't perform live. Um, and when I come back to performing again, it's been straight into the heavier kind of drum based stuff. But it has a lot of the same elements as that. It doesn't matter whether there's a kick drum or not, like the, the message is the same or that the emotional content is the same. And um, just that, that feeling of transcendence through music that we can get. Um, and yeah, sometimes I very much feel, it really depends so much on the crowd. I mean, I have to say, um, Irish crowds are always amazing. So I was, I was in a body and soul quite recently and um, just, uh, it feels like um, there's just an extra level of being up for it and an extra level of joy and in the music and people people kind of more lost in the music. That really affects how I play and that really affects the, the level of euphoria that I personally will feel maybe. And when you're, heading out to these kind of like you know like glastonbury and like the big top these kind of massive massive huge audience kind of shows why is going through your head just before like what's the kind of the strangest kind of thought that you have just before you're about to walk on stage it's a really interesting arc actually like i can't i think it's been years for me to really understand what's going on um what the, the kind of journey my head goes through i, I think um I've you know done a lot of training in mindfulness over the years, so I, I feel at this point I can step back and observe my thoughts a little bit, whereas I used to be consumed by them. And the thoughts I would have in the hour or two running up to the show would often be quite 
anxious, but they wouldn't be anxious about the music or the show. They would just it'd be like a free floating anxiety that would attach itself to anything. And it could be could be a global event. It could be a relationship issue or could be something really anything at all. And then the second you start playing, all of that disappears and it becomes about the music. And after the show, the entire world seems amazing. So really, it's just a state of mind that can attach itself to anything. And it's very it's quite um useful to notice that and not to make any uh, judgments on how you feel about things uh, based on the hour before you go on stage because obviously the, it's just an adrenaline thing and a cortisol thing and sometimes I get super tired which is weird like you know you're so utterly amped up when you're on stage but I think maybe it's the body preserving energy to use on stage I don't know and then afterwards I'm like unstoppably awake so it's a roller coaster for the for the body and I'm not sure it's a the healthiest one but then i don't know i feel like it, it gives a lot back as well so it's hard it's, hard. it's just a, it's a strange job to be honest do you use subconscious a lot when you are in the when you're in the kind of like the writing process and when you're creating kind of process yeah. is that like a kind of a joyous process just kind of like let that kind of take the wheel or do you ever kind of is there kind of like two parts of your brain ever battling where you kind of have the subconscious saying this is what i need to do and is there ever kind of another side of your head saying like, no, 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 this is what we need to be doing. Like, is there kind of like that almost like Gollum dueling? <laughs> yeah. Every time I've allowed there to be a battle in there, um, it's meant there's something wrong really with the music. As I've got older, I just increasingly trusted in the, the pure intuition, um, which does, which is something you can foster, you know, it's something you can kind of nourish with a meditation practice, um, just to trust more and more in that. And it gets louder and clearer as the years have gone on um you look back to like an album i made in 2000 it came out in 2008 but um insides which was kind of made over a number of years it's almost like you can hear me trying to find out what i'm supposed to be doing you know like there's different styles there's different tempos there's all these kind of very different types of sounds in there it's like it haven't really quite worked out what it is yet i think that was me trying to vaguely fit into everything and then i took some time away and you know, when, when I worked, immunity was very, was much more focused. And I think that was in that period of time, I kind of went, went through some life changes and just kind of became really clear about what I loved and what I wanted to do um, through music. And ever since then, it's just been more and more in that direction. So with the most recent album, which is not exactly a commercially uh, viable <laughs> product in quotes, this just doesn't matter. It's like, this is what needs to exist. And it will have a different kind of life. You just got to write for the purity of it, really. Um, and then, that, like I was saying, having come out of that and going back to performing and also really, you know, I released a new single recently with um, Anna, the Brazilian producer, um, which is like a total banger. So I'm quite I'm quite into that side of things again now. You know, you mentioned that last album, uh, Music for Psychedelic Therapy. I love that album. I absolutely think it's um, beautiful. The TSK was that piece is incredible. Can you kind of explain the uh, how you went around creating that album because I know it was you and a few colleagues actually went out to Ecuador to capture sounds and went into caves. Mm, and, yeah. and how does that look like when you're creating your kind of like a Google calendar for the day going, right? Going to create this tune and I'm going to be going, going down a cave now tomorrow now, lads. <laughs> yeah, so um, the cave expedition was a couple of years before I wrote the music. Um, and obviously I went down there because I'm a big, believer in saying if someone asks you to go and do something like that and they're going to do all the arranging of it and it's going to be safe um 
then why would you not say yes? You know, it's obviously, it's obviously going to be a live experience. You're not going to regret it. Um, so I just said yes without really thinking about much about what, what it might be like. Um, and then it was a couple of years later in, in sort of mid-2020 lockdown times when I started going through the audio from that trip, um, most of which was field recordings done by my friend Mendel Kalen, who was there as well. And um, so I didn't like go down there and make music. I went down there to experience it. And really what was happening, I think, was like a seed was planted for that album down there. And um, I came back with the feeling of what, what it feels like to under the Amazon for a bit. And um, you don't need to consciously try and figure out a way of translating that to music. It will just happen because that's what the brain does. That's what the subconscious does. If you're driven to make music, it, it translates it. And, you know, music's there for where, where words can't do the job. So um, really there's no alternative but to go and experience it um, if you want to make something that authentically um, captures how it felt and using those field recordings as well like trying to incorporate them musically rather than just sticking them on top was just the only logical way or the only the way that presented itself really to me to do it and then that all resulted in the rest of the album all just kind of grew on either side out from that there's a beautiful kind of comfort to that album it really does bring me kind of comfort is there anything that you throw on that just brings you comfort when you when you need when you need a when you need a wee hug is there oh yeah, what do you yeah there's, a, there's a lot of things i mean one of my main go-tos is um thursday afternoon by brian eno and also the two and uh, so it's a lot of eno stuff really the two albums that he did with harold budd um the pearl and um what's it called plateau of mirror um and um these things i've been listening to since i was 19 20 um and they're just they are like, you know, audio hugs, really. It's uh, something about the fact that they're infinitely listenable. You can't get them stuck in your head because they don't have melodies as such. That's the thing for me that's important. It's like, I can't listen to a song repeatedly without it getting stuck in my head all night. And that, and that will then result in me not wanting to listen to it anymore. <laughs> but true ambient, um, like the, you know, stuff, the kind of 80s stuff we did really, is kind of, immune from that or like i'm immune from getting from getting it stuck and therefore it, it has no downside and it's just you can create you know there's, a, there's always a drone under there as well so a long note that continues um there's a lot of that on the album you know you'll find huge stretches are in the same key and you can hum like the central note at any point and it will always be in tune i mean that's that's a kind of central feature of a lot of um music used for any kind of spiritual purposes over the years um something you can get lost in, something that's timeless, um, something that brings you back to like the slightly illusory nature of time anyway, you know, like you can put Thursday afternoon on and an hour goes by very quickly. An hour is just a creation of us anyway. So the whole thing is, uh, yeah, I find all that kind of thing quite, uh, it gives a wider perspective really. To go back in time then uh, a little bit is the early kind of seeds of kind of like your love of electronic music. I kind of fell in love with that kind of, with those kind of noises by spending far too much playing Star Fox in my bedroom. Yeah, I, I was great. What were the, the early seeds for you where you're like, okay, this is, this makes sense to me. I remember very vividly when I was about eight or something, um, I had like this, this, there's a series called Now That's What I Called Music. And there's, it, you know, it's still going, I think. You've got volume 100 and something now, but this was like now, now 10 or now 9 or something. And it had this track on it called Crockett's Theme by Jan Hammer. Might have had something to do with Miami Vice or something. I'm not sure. 
probably not. I don't know, but it's electronic through, and it had this kind of sequenced rhythm to it. And I was just like, you know, my ears just pricked up and have remained pricked up ever since. Something about perfectly sequenced music that has, that has a kind of strong melodic component. And I found it in the in the Pet Shop Boys as well, and in Depeche Mode and things like that that were kind of starting to appear in the charts around that time. Um, and any any kind of early house music that I would come across, I just was obsessed with the the program drums. I wasn't interested in um, listening to live drums or guitars, really. There was just something there that never really let me go after that. You can be back in, in Galway on the 16th of July. We're talking about how, you know, the word that you used yourself and the, and the, and the, the word that kept on coming back was euphoria. If, if you could pick another word for someone who has never been to a John Hopkins gig before, what would be that one word that you would throw at them? A good question. Um, I don't know if I can give you one word, but like I think that the feeling of tribe, like tribal, that there's something about dancing together to one beat. And a lot of the set, as I got it at the moment, is it continues at a similar tempo for quite a long time, so you can really just get lost in that that rhythm collectively. Um, so that's like forty words instead of one. But <laughs> John Hopkins plays the Big Top Saturday, July sixteenth, and you can get your tickets at giaf.ie. My name is Paul Fahey and I'm the Artistic Director of Go International Arts Festival. And we have a huge music programme. I think the obvious thing that I was supposed to comment on is the return of the Heineken Big Top after an absence of three years. I think people are just cannot wait to be back under that magical blue Big Top uh, on the fisheries field in the grounds of the university. Um, I often say it's, the, it's our cathedral of the arts as it sits beside the, sits beside the Galway Cathedral, which is a different kind of cathedral. Um, and we have an incredible programme there working with our partners from the Roisin Dove. Who doesn't want to see the Pixies? That's a sold out gig for quite a while. The Flaming Lips are making a return that I think is one of the best gigs we ever had at the festival in the Big Top about three or four years ago. Um, so I'm just delighted to have that band back in town. But also I'm a huge John Hopkins fan um, and I think that's going to be the, the steeler gig of the festival this year. Um, he's a brilliant um, electronic musician. Um, he is incredible in concert. Visuals always spectacular. This is not going to disappoint. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really incredible gig. So that's the one of the big top gigs that I'm really looking forward to the most, John Hopkins. But then there are a few other ones. I mean, there's a great lineup in the Roisin Dove and in Monroe's and all that. But we're also working with uh, Contempo, who are Goa's music ensemble in residence. And they have a really gorgeous programme at the Palau Cinema that includes Steve Reich's Different Trains, which is one of the most beautiful contemporary pieces of music of the last 20 or 30 years um, and I've heard that many times around the world I've never heard it in Galway and to hear I, I didn't realise that, that, that that was actually in their in their canon if you like um, that's going to be really really special and then also uh, they also have Philip Glass piece on that programme so what's not to love about that but then the Crash Ensemble who are the orchestra performing with the First Child the opera by Donica Dennehy and Enda Walsh they're also performing a programme called Reactions in St. Nicholas's Church, which is one of the most ambient uh, venues that we have. But they, during the lockdown, commissioned a number of composers to write uh, solos, duos and trios for their ensemble. And they're one of the, you know, the great contemporary ensembles, um, not just in Ireland, but in the world and hugely celebrated. Um, and then they also have um, another kind of larger piece with, where many of them will come together to perform. That, I think, is going to be a really, really special gig. It was that they're, I, you know, they are superb musicians they're hugely in demand and you know they're almost like a little orchestra in residence this year because they'll, they'll be they'll be here for the, the, the two weeks so i think that's going to be a gem of a gig and one i'm really looking forward to thank you so much for listening all the info you need can be found on giaf.ie join us for our next episode looking at all things theater <laughs>
first, playing us out with Falling Apart from her debut album is Anna Malarkey. This podcast was produced by Andy Gaffney and Orla Higgins. Special thanks to Flirt FM at NUI Galway. Information for all shows can be found at giaf.ie.